welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Look, he was an incompetent president. That's all I can say. Grossly incompetent. Thank you. Uh, that was that was your current president talking about uh, one of your former presidents, uh, Rick. And I have to say it's been an interesting thing we have watched over the last several days, really over the last couple of weeks. The president, on one hand, seems to have his predecessors very much at the front of his mind, especially Barack Obama. But we are also... Uh, in, in, in a break from what we have seen over the past three years, actually hearing more from his two immediate predecessors. First, we had George W. Bush, a little over two weeks ago, come out and offer, not mentioning Donald Trump by name, but offering uh, a message on the crisis, uh, the coronavirus crisis. Here's a little clip from that. Let us remember how small our differences are in the face of this shared threat. In the final analysis... We are not partisan combatants. We are human beings, equally vulnerable and equally wonderful in the sight of God. We rise or fall together, and we are determined to rise. It was a somewhat presidential message from a former president. Uh, It's certainly one of, of unity, really hard to criticize, but unusual because George W. Bush has kept such a low profile and not wanting to do anything that even appears to be uh, raising any questions about the current occupant of the Oval Office. But Donald Trump did not appreciate it, apparently, because he, he responded by retweeting a, uh, something from a Fox News uh, anchor, slamming Trump, uh, pointing out that, I'm mean, slamming Bush, pointing out that he did not uh, stick up for Donald Trump during the impeachment hearings. So th- th- there's that. Uh, and then... Uh, more recently, we've heard from Barack Obama, who's also kept a very low profile uh, during the Trump era. He gave a couple of uh, commencement uh, addresses over the weekend and, and did not mention Trump by name, but it was quite clear uh, what he was talking about here. More than anything, this pandemic has fully finally torn back the curtain on the idea that so many of the folks in charge know what they're doing. A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge. Yes, we can kind of imagine who Obama was talking about there. And in case we were unclear, uh, we also had uh, Yahoo uh, unearthed or or got a hold of a recording of a private uh, uh, conversation, a private uh, speech that that Barack Obama gave, uh, where he was quite direct in talking about how Trump has handled all of this. What we're fighting against is these long-term trends in which Being selfish, being tribal, uh, being divided, uh, and seeing others as an enemy, um, that that has become uh, a stronger impulse uh, in American life. And by the way, we're seeing that internationally as well. Um, And it's part of the reason why the response to this global crisis has been so anemic and spotty and uh, it would have been bad even with the best of governments it has been an absolute chaotic disaster uh, when that uh, mindset of what's in it for me uh, and to heck with everybody else when that mindset is operationalized uh, in our government. 
So uh, an absolute chaotic disaster. Uh, that's how Barack Obama in private uh, was describing. I mean, he's obviously talking about uh, about the response being led here by the, the Trump administration. So while that has been going on, we have also heard from the president, the current president himself, uh, I mean, going after Obama in a way that uh, <laughs> is reminiscent of the campaign is reminiscent, maybe even of the uh, you know the 2011 uh, uh, Bertha, Bertha fiasco. Uh, he's actually uh, talking about uh, trying envisioning Barack Obama being prosecuted along with Joe Biden, accusing him of unspecified crimes. Obamagate. Uh, it got so loud and, and so sustained that the Attorney General, who you know has been a, absolutely a, a Trump loyalist. Uh, had to come out and say, look, no, we, we are not going to, I have no intention, do not envision any criminal investigation of either Joe Biden or Barack Obama. I had a chance uh, to ask, shortly after uh, Attorney General Barr made those remarks, I had a chance to ask uh, President Trump about uh, about his reaction. Take a listen. Attorney General Barr says he is unlikely to have any criminal investigation of either Barack Obama or Joe Biden. You've been talking about what you call the greatest political crime uh, in American history. What do you think of Mr. Barr's decision? Well, I think if it was me, they would do it. I think uh, for them, maybe they're not going to. I don't know. I'm surprised because uh, Obama knew everything that was happening. I don't think ba- Obama knows where he, where he uh, you know, is in a lot of ways. I saw his statements the other day, and I think that, frankly, they weren't very good. It's President Obama. Uh, so I'm a little surprised by that statement. I don't think he said it quite the way you said it. I think he said, as of this moment, I guess. But if it was me, I guarantee they'd be going after me. Uh, in his case, uh, they're not. So I think it's just a continuation of a double standard. I'm surprised by it. I'm surprised by it. So, so Rick, we've had this tradition in uh, American history particularly recent American history of, first of all, former presidents not criticizing uh, current presidents uh, and all current presidents, certainly not picking fights with former presidents, but more likely uh, seeking advice and counsel of their predecessors, regardless of party. Um, we, we, we've entered a, uh, I mean, this is not surprising coming from Donald Trump, but it seems like we have entered a, a new phase here. Among the grand traditions that have been exploded by the Trump presidency is is this one, uh, and I think you're onto something powerful here. And, and I think it's telling that, um, in part to explain this, that um, that President Bush didn't have to say the words Donald Trump to know what, exactly what he was talking about. Barack Obama didn't have to say the words Donald Trump um, for Donald Trump to know this is what he was what he was talking about, and for us to know it as well, because it is such a a glaring break from uh, just about every political norm that one can imagine. Uh, and there's been a special utility that President Trump has found in attacking his predecessors. And that is something that doesn't even stop at party lines. He's had very harsh things to say about, about all, of the, all of the living ex-presidents and a, and a whole bunch of the dead ones as well. Um, there are a few presidents that he has, has had praise for throughout history. Uh, and he is used as a foil uh, presidents, famously President Clinton and Hillary Clinton, President Obama, both Presidents Bush. This has all been part of that political playbook, all for a guy who does enjoy the trappings of the presidency and is very proud of his place in that lineup. Um, That number 45 is very prominent around the Trump White House, and they're cognizant of it. But this piece of history, uh, it it has been a, a a big change in terms of how this has been handled. 
And Rick, all this makes me think of the last time we saw all of the living former presidents together, as you recall, the, the funeral of George H.W. Bush, when they were all sitting in that pew together uh, at the at Washington National Cathedral. Um, and as you recall, Donald Trump was the last to arrive. I, I still have the image in, in, in my mind of him, you know, walking down, handing his coat to the, uh, to, to, to the military usher, and then sitting in that aisle seat, uh, shaking hands with the, with the Obamas, and very pointedly not reaching out to shake hands with the Clintons who were on the other side of, of, of the Obamas. One of the most awkward assemblages of, uh, I mean, the most awkward, let's say it, the most awkward assemblage of former uh, presidents that, uh, that we've ever seen. And, and that's what's fascinating about the, these relationships, because uh, presidents have been rivals with other presidents. A whole lot of uh, presidents have defeated ex-presidents or soon-to-be ex-presidents and, and certainly railed against them and said they can do things differently. But those things have t- tended to fade away in the past. But with this president, the jousting is live. It is po- potentially politically useful. And it has, I think, real s- historical significance because that chain of presidents has, uh, has mattered a lot. Uh, John, I know you have a special affinity for Mount Rushmore. And uh, to me, the image of those presidents uh, cheek by jowl on, uh, on the mountain is something that's, that's resonant throughout American history. Uh, the, the way that presidents have, uh, have come across party lines to work together in the past has been notable. This president um, not only uh, derides his former rivals uh, or his, uh, the, the, the ex-presidents, the people that once had that job, but, but also uses them for political purposes uh, that, are, that are particular to his circumstance. And, and it has forced some real changes in how the ex-presidents conduct themselves. And I think they're things that we're going to continue to hear about all the way through 2020. So we have just the person to talk to about all of this. Uh, Very timely, incredibly timely uh, new book uh, that has just come out about the ex-presidents, what some have called the the, the President's Club. Uh, But Kate Anderson Brower is going to join us in just a minute. She's got a new book out called Team of Five. Uh, And uh, is a wonderful description of how the the kind of the unwritten rules of, of, of the former president's club and how those unwritten rules uh, are being shredded before our eyes. She also actually had an interview uh, with Donald Trump about all of this, which is in this book just out this week. We'll be back in just a moment with Kate Anderson Brower. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. We are joined now by Kate Anderson Brower, author of a terrific new book just out called Team of Five, The President's Club in the Age of Trump. And uh, Kate, of course, is the author of The Residents, First Women, uh, a really good friend of the Powerhouse Politics podcast, great journalist. And I have to say, Kate, welcome to the podcast. I loved your book. Thank you so much. Well, I loved your book too. So thank well, you. That means well, thank a lot. you. And there, and there was, there's a little bit of overlap in, in, in one section, which maybe we'll get a chance to talk about at one point between your book and, <laughs> and, and mine. First of all, I mean, the, the timing of this book is incredible. So just as all that we mm-hmm. talked about in our first segment uh, with, uh, on one hand, uh, Presidents Obama and Bush, uh, Coming, coming out more publicly than we have seen really during, during at any point in the first three years of, um, of, of this Trump era. And, and, of course, Donald Trump becoming obsessed even more than usual with his immediate predecessor and, and to a degree with, with, uh, with Bush as well. But I want to ask you, you 
start your book with this remarkable scene of going in to talk to Donald Trump. You had requested an interview uh, for your book um, with President Trump. This is when Sarah Sanders was still the, uh, the, the press secretary. And I imagine you were probably a little bit surprised when... Uh, when they answered yes, and you were brought in uh, to, to, to speak with him. Describe that experience and what he had to say to you. Well, you know how hard it is to get an interview with the president. It's really difficult to get interviews with former presidents, you know. So I was shocked when I emailed Sarah, who I had never met before. Uh, and I gave her a little background. And she said, well, what time works for you? Um, to talk to him. And at first I thought, like, was she talking about a, an advisor that I was going to talk to? You know, usually you don't get in that quickly. Um, and I think it speaks to the fact that Trump has very, first of all, he wants to slam his predecessors and he wanted to point out that he says he's done more than any of them have. And at one point in our interview, he brought out a page with single spaced, you know, notes that said, you know, Trump's list of accomplishments at the top. So he was he was defensive, um, but he was also in a good mood because the Mueller report had just come out and he thought that that had cleared him. Right. So uh, it was just a much easier interview than I ever thought it would be. Um, Kellyanne Conway was sitting on the sofa behind us and would chime in every now and then to back him up. Uh, it was very surreal for me, honestly. How much time elapsed between when you uh, sent that email to Sarah Sanders and when you actually came into the Oval Office to talk to the president? You know, it was probably a couple weeks. Um, there were Still amazing, twice- though. I know it is amazing. I mean, I was going to come in um, and then it was canceled at the very last minute. So there were a couple times I had to to leave. But, you know, I, I was a White House reporter during the Obama years. And, you know, like an interview with Obama is just impossible, especially if this is the subject that you're asking about. Oh, you would never have gotten Oh, I never did. Um, So I had to talk to people, you know, around him and even getting some of his spokesmen to talk about it is tough. Right. So it was remarkable. And and what how how does he view because you were you you asked him some very interesting questions, kind of, you know, you asked him about his relationship with Clinton and, 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 and if he could ever see overcoming some of the differences and becoming close again. He had been, you know, friendly with, with, with Bill Clinton, of course. Bill and Hillary attended uh, his wedding uh, with, with Melania. And you write in your book about how, how tense the relationship was, for instance, with, uh, be- between, uh, between Jefferson and, and Adams and mm-hmm. how close they, they came in their, uh, in their later years. Uh, how, how did he respond to those questions? He was very engaged. I mean, you, you've seen him in interviews. He he folded his arms, you know, on the desk and was leaning in. And I think he liked the idea that I was comparing him to John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, right? That, <laughs> you know, um, I think that he he really liked talking about how um, uh, he, you know, I, I think one of the things I asked him that kind of caught him off guard was if he would go to Obama's presidential library opening. And he kind of looked at me and was kind of took a second to say, well, why would he even invite me? No. And um, it was that moment that really crystallized it for me that it almost sounded like a ridiculous question when I asked him. But, you know, throughout history, former presidents have sat on the platform. They've said kind things to each other, buried the hatchet by you know, by that point. And, um, 
it just put everything in perspective that this is unlike anything we've seen before. And, you know, I asked him where he'd have his presidential library and he says he knows real estate better than anyone and probably Florida or New York. Um, so some questions I don't think, you know, in the chaos of the day to day, I don't think he's been really thinking much about them. So that was a, a good opportunity. And Kate, the title of your book, I think, gets at this a little bit. You talk about the team of five. Um, that's a reference um, to the, the the four living ex-presidents and also George H.W. Bush, who passed away during the, the Trump presidency. But the, the, the sense that that is a team and that, is not, that Donald Trump's not part of that team. Can you talk a little bit about how the ex-presidents have handled the Trump presidency? It feels like they have some collective sense that – he is not part of that club, that this is not a normal presidency, this is not a normal president. And um, even if they're not coordinating messaging, they are in some way responding in similar ways. Well, their staffs are definitely coordinating, like Obama's staff and Bush uh, 43 staff are. And I, it was interesting because I talked to an Obama staffer who described his post-presidential office as a kind of a war room set up, which is remarkable because you don't think of any other president having to do this. But where they have a, uh, you know, a team of more than 20 people who get together and talk about how they're going to respond to Donald Trump's allegations on Twitter, um, his wiretapping allegation particularly infuriated Obama to the point where the first statement was not tough enough and he asked them to revise it and make it stronger. Uh, because he said, you know, when Trump took office, I'm not going to criticize him unless our core values are at stake. And so he saw that as a core value. He's seeing the pandemic uh, response uh, as a core you know, value at stake. And, you know, you do see a team of these men. You see Bush uh, 43 and Clinton. Um, Clinton called Bush 43 and said, after Trump was elected, you have to make sure you protect PEPFAR, which was this AIDS program that, you know, has been widely praised on both sides of the aisle that Bush spearheaded. Um, and I thought that was really remarkable to have Bill Clinton call George W. Bush and say, you can't let him destroy this thing that's really important that you built. Um, I just don't think we've seen anything like that before. And I, I think there is a bit of a team uh, it might not be coordinated. They're not. They're not like texting each other and going out for lunch and all that. But I think they they respect each other. And and in terms of the current president, I mean, one of the things that you document in this book um, and throughout history is that presidents have learned from ex presidents. They've consulted with them at times. Uh, even bitter rivals have found opportunities to reach out. You, and you talk in the book a little bit about how President Trump um, was in touch with George W. Bush during the Kavanaugh hearings. But uh, but it, by your count, the only time that Trump has reached out to an ex-president uh, for actual advice was Jimmy Carter. Can you talk a little bit about what colors that relationship and, and why you, why it is that President Trump doesn't have other contacts like that? Trump indicated to me that this was a year ago when we spoke that he, you know, he felt that Jimmy Carter was unfairly treated by the other members of the club. You know, Jimmy Carter, just like Donald Trump, is a rule breaker. He's accused. I mean, he's been very critical of Bush 43 and the war in Iraq, his handling of Katrina and all of that. So uh, it's just a funny scene where Trump called Carter and he was at a friend's house. And, the, you know, the Carters live very modest life down in Plains. I mean, I went and visited them and they have a, a ranch style house, very middle class. It's it's amazing. And, um, you know, Carter was at a friend's house serving himself at a buffet and he gets a phone call 
from the White House operator saying the president is on the line. And Trump was asking him about China and foreign policy. And uh, and then Carter criticized Trump a few months later. And now, of course, Trump can't stand him. So I think there was a feeling of camaraderie between that Trump had for Carter. I don't think that Carter ever felt that way about Trump. Rosalind Carter told me she thought the Trump administration was a train wreck. Um, I don't think there's a lot of love there between the Carters and the Trumps anymore. Well, I think that what drove it from Trump's perspective is Carter said some things that were not uh, yes. highly critical early on. You know, it said basically yeah. give, give him a chance um, yeah. uh, in, in, in contrast to what just about everybody else was saying. Um, um, but he called I, him too to congratulate him after the election also, which, and, you know, he was one of the first to call. And Trump really appreciates those gestures. I mean, that is one thing. He he really, really appreciates those gestures. So I, I, I think that one of the fascinating things about – many fascinating things you, you talk about in, in the book. And I think a lot of it – and we're, we're – because of the news, we're talking about obviously Trump's relationship uh, with, with, with this club. But, but you, you, you have – you talk about the historical – precedent here and the way presidents have looked back and dealt with their predecessors. And there's some, there's some really some incredible stories, particularly President Hoover. I mean, you know, president that, that left office and perhaps some of the, you know, the, among the worst circumstances of, mm. you know, uh, any president and how influential he was over his long post-presidential life uh, with, with his successors. But one of the fascinating things, and you described this uh, rather vividly in the book is the way as, as president, you live in a house where your predecessors are on the walls. I mean, those presidential mm-hmm. portraits are there. You walk by them every day. Uh, you talk about, you know, the stories of Nixon essentially talking to the presidential mm-hmm. portraits uh, <laughs> on, on the wall. And there's, and there's um, an anecdote that you recount of, of, of Nixon in October of, of 72, you know, late at night uh, writing to himself, um, presidents noted F- FDR, charm, Truman, gutsy, Ike, smile, prestige, Kennedy, charm, LBJ, vitality, RN, dash, question mark. You know, Nixon obsessing over how he's going to be uh, remembered compared uh, to his uh, to his predecessor with Trump. I don't get the sense that there's any of that. I mean, he he, he talks about how he, you know, he's done more than any other president. And, and, and he, but I, I don't think he spends that much time actually thinking about his legacy, which is fascinating yeah. for a guy that's so obsessed with himself. And, and, mm. and the telling moment there was when you asked him about his presidential library, and it's clear that he hasn't thought a second about his presidential library. Mm. But, but, but from that, can you help us understand, help us imagine, what does post-White House Donald Trump look like? Um, it's, you know, what, 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 what does it look like once he leaves 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? Well, I mean, if it's any indication, the amount of money that, that the Clintons and the Obamas and the Bushes have made, you know, the cashing in on the White House, I think that Trump will, he's got a whole myriad of issues that they, they don't have legally. And I, I don't, I'm not uh, an expert on that, but I, I think that he will be in a race to, uh, make a lot of money, write probably write his own book because you you look at how he talks about the art of the deal, right? Um, I think greatest book ever. He is going, 
Exactly. Uh, and, you know, I mean, look, the Obama's I talked to a friend of the Clintons who said that the Clint, Bill Clinton thinks that Obama is going to be the first billionaire former president and that that really kind of disturbs him. That they've, they've made a lot of money um, and it's possible. Right. They have a 60 million dollar book deal. We don't know what the Netflix deal is. Um, and I think that Trump is going to he's competing with all of them, even though he says he's not. So I thought that was so interesting, too, that he said he hadn't given his library much thought because he is uh, an egomaniac. He must ha- he must be thinking about what's going to happen if he loses. Um, but, you know, who knows? He's an egomaniac, yes, but he's an egomaniac that lives in the present. I don't find he is remarkably, mm-hmm. spends remarkably little time thinking about the past or about the future. Mm-hmm. He is in the present. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that the two former presidents he talks about are Nixon and Andrew Jackson. It's like the, the, the living former presidents he has no time for. But he has he, he likes those two who are like hugely controversial, right, former presidents. Kate, do you think he wants to be part of that broader club, if not the club of the, of the, of the, the, the living ex-presidents? But do you think he, he wants to be, wants history to remember him in that, in that way, in that secession? Is there a... Is there a model in his mind of, a, of an ex-president that, that, that came out in your research that, that he has in mind? I don't, I don't think he's given it that much thought, I think. But I do think that he is obsessed with the fact that he's president, right? He's got 45 monogrammed on his shirts. And so he cares a lot about, about his position. But I don't, think he, I don't think that there is an example of a former president who he can model himself after in the way that, you know, Obama modeled himself after H.W. Bush in a lot of ways. So, no, I and I can't see, you know, it seems like he does. He says he doesn't want to be part of the club, but, uh, you know, armchair psychology, maybe he feels like he's been ostracized and alienated over the years by them. And so he doesn't fit in. And now he's got to kind of dig in on that. It's fascinating you describe uh, the scene. We talked about it in the first part of the podcast at the funeral, uh, the memorial service for George H.W. Bush at the National Cathedral, which is the last time mm-hmm. uh, we saw them all together, all the former presidents, and just how awkward it was. Uh, I wonder if we're going to see that site again. Uh, we, we tend to see them get together at presidential inaugurations, at library dedications, at funerals. Um, and... You know, I, I just I, I wonder or and we see not all of them come over, but the presidential portrait unveilings uh, at the White mm-hmm. House. Now, it seems pretty clear we're not going to see an Obama portrait unveiled uh, at the at the Trump White House. That'll probably have to wait for the next president. Um, but I, I, I just wonder when we will see them all together again. Will we see them at the next inauguration? What, what will the next inauguration look like? That's when usually there, I mean, the last one we didn't have George H.W. Bush because he was ill in, in Texas. Uh, but, you know, you had, you had the Clintons on the stage, you had the Carters. Um, what, what, does, what does this next inauguration look like? Is, is, is Trump there, win or lose, uh, with, with all those former presidents together on a stage? I think that if he, if he wins... I think they will all go because I think it's more important now than ever for them to go. Right. It just sends this symbol, this message of unity um, for this country, not uh, not necessarily supporting Trump. But if you look at 2016, I mean, they were they were all there except for Bush, as you say. And I think Bush 43 
especially, um, and I've been told this by people around him, that he, he, you know, that bear hug with Michelle Obama at the Smithsonian, the African-American Museum, that was a symbolic moment, and I'm sure it was real, but it was also a, a message. Like, he, he likes to do these things that people can see, that there's affection between the Obamas and the Bushes. And so I think they absolutely will go to his inauguration. I, I It'll be really interesting to see if Donald Trump goes to Joe Biden's inauguration if he were to win. I mean, that's the that would be the question. Um, you know, John, John Adams didn't go to Thomas Jefferson's inauguration. So, you know, it's possible that he could be that petty, I, I suppose. And and by the way, Andrew Johnson did not go. Um, uh, uh, did, what, what, what was it? Was another as an impeached president did not go uh, yeah. to, uh, to to the inauguration. Um, um, yeah. but, uh, but it'd be, it'd be a fascinating moment, uh, absolutely fascinating, yeah. uh, yeah. moment. And, and, you know, we, it's hard to imagine, you know, as, as you, as you suggested, uh, to see, you know, Trump's pretty much made it clear he's not going to attend, um, doesn't expect yeah. to be invited to, uh, to Barack Obama's presidential library inauguration. Um, but, um, fascinating book. Hey, look, I, I, I want to thank you for joining us. I know we've already taken up too much of your time. No, I have to emphasize again, this is, this is a terrific book. Uh, you are a great writer and you have, uh, you've, uh, you've hit it out of the park again with another book. So thank you for joining us, Kate. Thanks so much for having me. Rick, I, I got to tell you, t- timing is, uh, th- th- there's a lot of time. I mean, th- this, uh, you know, this subject is to me always fascinating, but, uh, but, but particularly right now. It's living history, it, and 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 you can you can chart so much of President Trump's rise through former presidents. Um, he's proud of the letter he got from Richard Nixon, uh, suggesting that Pat Nixon thought he'd make a great candidate someday. He's so proud of uh, the photo uh, of him shaking Ronald Reagan's hand. In fact, just this week I saw another fundraiser where you can buy coins of him uh, next to Reagan. Uh, and uh, of course, his political rise was fueled by his attacks on Barack Obama. And also, in a way, with his friendship uh, with Bill Clinton uh, and, and with the Clintons. And it, it is so fascinating because, of course, this president has, as you said, lives, lives in the moment, but he is part of history as well. And he uses that history and that the, his position in the, in the presidential hierarchy is something that's on his mind when he is on the attack. And because he is running essentially as an outsider for reelection, those attacks against the Bushes, those attacks against the Clintons, those attacks against the Obamas, they're going to continue. Uh, and he's going he's gonna to rerun some of the, the greatest hits from previous campaigns, and that includes taking on some of the most prominent names in American political history, even if he's part of this club now. It is, it, it is a fascinating dynamic that, um, again, is playing out in real time. Do you, by the way, before we go, do you think Kate's right about if, if, if Trump were to win re-election, do you think Bill and Hillary Clinton will be on that stage? Yes, I, I do. I do. And I think if they showed up last time, I mean, look, we'll we'll see how this campaign plays out and what the circumstances are. I mean, if there's if it's a disputed election in some way and um, and there's some question around the legitimacy of a second inauguration that changes it. But I think if he is the the clear winner and he wins, he wins uh, above board. um, I do think it matters to the the Clintons, the Bushes, um, even the Obamas, the the continuity of government. Um, And and it's something Kate talks about in, in her book about how the Obama team really went out of its way to try to be accommodating to the Trump team to show the same courtesies that the Bush team had showed to them. Um, whether Trump does the same or not, I think there are there are um, there there are certain norms around uh, around presidents that the living members of this club are going to try to uphold. 
Okay, and I will make the prediction that she would not make, and that is if Trump loses, I believe that he will be there. And I believe that, you know, I believe that the, the, the transition will be less contentious than we would anticipate at this moment. Um, which we would anticipate a complete and total disaster, right? Literally nothing has been less contentious than we've anticipated <laughs> through the entire presidency of Donald Trump. I think you'd agree with that. Nothing so, has been like that. So, um, Ending with a whimper so, after all of so this. So that's, that is my uh, – I, I will stick to that. But the, the bottom line is just having this conversation right now, we have a hell of a lot more history to witness over, over the next, uh, over the next uh, six to eight months. I mean, my Lord – All right, Rick, that is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. Thank you for listening. Thank you to uh, our our great Powerhouse Politics team, Trevor Hastings and Avery Miller. We will be back next week, if not sooner. 